Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. It's good to be with you. My name is Scott Couch. I'm part of Awake Church. I guess we've been here uh, close to 16 years now, and uh, we're just really thrilled to, to be here. Um, one of the things, uh, my wife and I and son uh, just ended up uh, spending several weeks away. Uh, we were out of state. Joel was at Texas Children's Hospital for some time, and then we went to visit some family in Seattle and then went on vacation after that. And uh, when we came home, one of the things that we had to do was go through the mountains of mail <laughs> that you get. Have you, ever, have you ever seen those incredible mountains of mail that come in? And every one of them has got a special offer for you, you know, something special. Uh, you know, 200 months free interest if you uh, buy whatever, uh, whatever is supposed to be the case. Do you mind queuing that up, the first slide? Uh, it, it's always interesting when you do that because uh, everybody has an offer. Uh, I traveled overseas for many years. I worked in missions, and you'd go along certain places and Everybody got a, a good deal. Boss, boss, got a good deal for you today, you know. Uh, I want to give you something special. It's just for you, you know. And they'd have whatever it was that they had made or whatever potion they had made. And uh, they would want to get you involved and uh, engage with you and make you feel special. It was the, the offer, the big offer. Well, it's interesting in Romans chapter 5 and uh, chapter 6, which is what we're going to be studying today, we see something very interesting. We see what Jesus actually offers us. Uh, let's take a look at it, if you will. What Jesus offers. Look in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, if you will. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate in hope of glory and the hope of the glory of God. Kind of think about that for just a second. We're justified by faith. What does Jesus offer us? Well, what he's offering us is an opportunity to be acceptable to God. You see, we, we have a sin nature. We'll talk about it a little bit further in Romans. But there's a sin nature that came about when we were born. It was passed on, actually, through the Father, the Bible talks about. It was passed on. And you don't have to teach a child how to, how to lie. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. You don't have to teach a child how to behave. I mean, you do have to teach a child how to behave. But all of those things come naturally because we're born with this sin nature. And the sin nature is something that, that we can't get around. It comes from every father to every child. And that sin nature means that we are going to sin. And we can teach a child to not be selfish. We can teach a child to behave. We can teach a child not to lie and not to do other things that are bad. But ultimately, one sin, one blemish on our record 
makes us unacceptable. God the Father loves us, but he can't accept imperfection. Not any imperfection. And so there is this terrible problem with mankind. A people that God loves deeply, but can never be acceptable on their own. And so, God had a plan, and that plan was through Jesus. And the way that we execute it is simple. We, through faith, believe that Jesus has offered us salvation and that he paid the price for our salvation. And then when we do that, it says that God counts that as righteousness for us. It's actually a substitution of of what we are and what we have for what God has, Jesus' righteousness. It's kind of interesting, if you think about it, it's grace and peace. That's what's mentioned in the verse. I'll read them one more time. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith to grace in which we stand. Now, it's kind of interesting if you think about that whole idea of grace and peace. What does that actually mean? Well, the best illustration I could think of actually came from when I used to travel internationally. Uh, When I traveled, uh, part of the time we, we worked on our own and part of the time I worked with a missions agency, and part of the time I worked with a group called Vision Trust International. And it was always interesting if you'd go into a third world country, especially ones that were in chaos, right after the bombs stopped falling, right after the water receded, right after the plague was sufficient enough to where you could go in, whatever uh, the army uh, uh, withdrew, whatever that condition was, there would be such chaos. And usually right after chaos, uh, there was a lot of corruption. And it was interesting because as a uh, larger than most people who are in an impoverished country and whiter than most people who are in an impoverished country person, I would get picked out quite often. Uh, They would see me in the taxi or they'd see me in the car or they'd see me in whatever and I would get pulled over and then they would proceed to extract appreciation from me. They'd want a bribe. Oh, you committed a terrible, terrible crime. Really? What, what, what crime did I commit? Well, you have a taillight out. Well, I don't own the car. I'm in a taxi. Oh, but you're riding in it, and so you're responsible for it. That'll be $100, you know. Uh, or, oh, your paperwork isn't in order. What do you mean? I have my visa. I have my passport. Oh, you needed to have another stamp. Really? Can you show me where it says anywhere in your documentation that I'm supposed to have the extra stamp? Oh, yes, you have to have it. It'll cost you $1,000, you know. That type of thing would happen. And there was always this constant extraction, trying to take money, trying to receive some sort of bribe. And so I came up with something that was kind of interesting. (laughs) This is a card that I made up. I used to wear it around my neck on a chain. And it was interesting because police would pull you over and then they would look at this card and they would see international liaison. And it looked very official. And because they weren't sure 
who I was associated with. Because certainly nobody would go and just make this up on their own. <laughs> it would create doubts. They would look and they'd go, boy, I wonder if he's connected. Does he know the president or does he know the vice president or does he know the military leader in power? Does he know who they are? What ground is he standing on right now? Could he make a phone call and have my head chopped off? Some countries, that's a reality. Could he get me fired? And that little card struck fear into the hearts of many. And once I started wearing that on my little lanyard around my neck, Sometimes people would salute, <laughs> and sometimes they would give me the red carpet treatment, and I didn't do it to get that. I did that because I didn't want to be uh, taken advantage of. I just wanted to go and do what God had called us to do, help the orphans, help the people. But it was interesting because it's a great illustration. What do you stand on? The first two verses that we read talked about faith and grace on which you stand. You see, the activation of this is when you believe that God did what he said he would do, he would pay for your sins. He would take them away. He would give you his righteousness. He would in, implant in you a new heart. It actually says in Chronicles, take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that beats for him, that's able to obey him. What ends up happening is when you stand on that, you're on a different footing. Because it all depends then on who you know. Who you know. And while this little ruse that I pulled, and it worked everywhere I used it, it was wonderful. But while this little ruse that I pulled was not standing on anything but doubt, God says, look, I offer you this through faith in me. I will stand you on grace, unmerited favor that, no, you don't deserve, but it's mine freely to give. And so I will give it to you, the grace on which you stand. So rather than standing over you with a whip and a chain, and rather than standing over you ready to beat you every time you step out of line, every time you commit a, a sin, every time you do something wrong, I'm going to treat you with grace because you're now a son of the king. You're now joint heirs with Jesus. You're now part of the family. And so I'll exercise grace on which you can stand, what Jesus offers. Well, oh, excuse me. The next thing that we want to look at in this as we're going through this Romans chapter 5 is when do we experience what Jesus offers? Now, it's great to talk about grace, and it's great to talk about how grace is something that we can stand on. But, but where does the rubber meet the road on this? How do we actually experience grace? Well, the next three verses give us the example. And it may not be exactly what you think. <laughs> it may not be exactly what you think. Let's read this together, if you will. We also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation 
brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. If you have it in another translation, it says tribulation works patience, patience experience, and experience hope. Kind of interesting that God would say that applies, or grace applies to that. Well, I want you to to think about it for a second, and I'm going to use an illustration that I used one time before here, and if you've heard it, I I apologize. Um, I grew up in Australia. My parents were missionaries there. One of the things that I got to do as a young boy, I went there when I was about seven years old, was I got to travel out into the center of Australia. Uh, The center of Australia is very different. Most of the population of Australia lives around the coast, and the vast majority of them live around the southern coast. Uh, Australia is approximately the same size as America as far as landmass, but the center of it is very dry and very desolate. And while there are sporadic towns and and there are uh, small areas and along the coast there's there's larger cities, when you get out to the center of Australia, it's it's very, very um, desolate, if you will. Sheep and cattle farm that are in those areas are very interesting. They're extremely large. You have to have multiple acres per individual sheep or per individual cow that you have. And so that makes for what they call stations, we would call them ranches, that are extremely large. The reality is that some of them are the size of some of our states here in the U.S., and it takes days to drive across them. There aren't highways and things like that in those areas. Well, when we had the opportunity to go across into an area of Australia where the indigenous people uh, we're working uh, with Aboriginal people and so on. We really wanted to do it. We wanted to see what this different culture was like. So my family took me uh, way out uh, into the center of Australia, and we went to visit uh, an Aboriginal village where a man was working. His name was Abel Morgan. Abel was an interesting person. He had actually been put in prison for murder, and he got saved in prison, and he was let out. He was an Aboriginal tracker. Tracking was amazing uh, when you see somebody that tracks. Um, Aboriginals are taught, as far as trackers are taught, when they are tiny, tiny, to recognize footprints in dust and dirt and so on. And they can recognize their family's footprints uh, when they're taught uh, at at a young age. And then soon their village, and and very soon uh, they can recognize anybody's footprint. And, And if you get somebody who's truly skilled, they can go across a a concrete floor, and they can show you where every single person walked. They can tell you whether it's a man or a woman. They can tell you approximately how old they are, how much they weigh, and oftentimes what nationality they are. And you say, how can you do that? I don't know, but I've seen it. I've seen it. They're trained to track through the deserts to find people that are lost, to find animals, to find uh, convicts, and so on. Abel was interested in me. I was a small red-headed kid who was fascinated by everything I saw. And so Abel took me out and on various occasions while we were there, walked and showed me unusual things. He said, Scott, my people were hunted. They'd have church services 
And then after the church service, they'd have aboriginal hunts. And they would kill us. They didn't like us because we would kill the sheep sometimes or we would take cattle to live on. And many, many, many people were killed. I looked at and read numbers of things, and it was thousands and potentially millions that were killed over the years, hunted like dogs. He said the one thing that we had to do is we had to learn how to get away very, very quickly and carry very little with us. And so we started doing something we started creating this system where we would have these pots, little clay pots, and we would fill them with water and we would bury them in the desert. And as he was walking along, he reached down and started digging away the dirt. There were no markings. He hadn't stepped so many steps from a tree. There wasn't a rock outcropping marking it. He just seemed to know where it was. And he dug away, and there was the pot. He said there are two rules with the pot. One, you can only drink half the water that's in it. The second rule is if it ever rains, the few times a year that it rains, you fill the pot that's closest to you. And he said what we could do with these pots is it allowed us to get away. It allowed us to run, and in our, we, could, we could run into the desert where people could not follow us. And we had this source of, of water that was, was buried, that we could live off of. It, it would keep us alive. Now, what does that have to do with what we just talked about? Tribulation works patience. Patience, experience. Experience, hope. What does that got to do with? Well, the reality is this. Every one of you have grace moments in your life. They are the moment when God showed up in a powerful way. They are the moment that God treated you with grace that you did not deserve, but it is this foundational truth. It's a mile marker. It's, it's something powerful in your life. And oftentimes we get past that and we forget it, and it's buried in the sand of our memory. God says, listen, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and think about the grace in which I've treated you because tribulation, when you go into it, brings patience. And patience, experience. I didn't have enough money to pay the rent. And all of a sudden, God came through in an unusual way, and I had the money, and I paid the rent. Pot of water. My car broke down and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then somebody came along and gave me a ride and told me about a mechanic who was, who was more reasonable than somebody else. And, and they were able to fix my car and we had another pot of water. And I got that diagnosis of cancer and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I prayed and friends prayed around me and all of a sudden it was gone. And you got that pot of water. Tribulation works patience, patience experience. You see, the experience is your track record with God. It's what you see and what you live with Him, the grace on which you stand. And God's idea is, hey, that's not a one and done. It's something that you need to constantly revisit. 
You need to add more water to it sometimes to keep the pot full, but you need to go back and you need to remember these times because tribulation works patience, patience, experience, and experience hope. Hope. And it's interesting because the next verse after that says, and hope does not disappoint. See, you have faith in God. He begins that relationship, cleansing your heart from sin. But it's not a one and done. It's a relationship in which you walk and stand in his grace. And in that grace, when you walk through it, you have these God experiences, God incidents, whatever you want to call them, and they create this track record, these milestones, these pots of water that are throughout your life that you revisit and you gain strength from so that the next time something happens, you can look back and say, hey, I didn't know what I was going to do and God provided for the rent and I didn't know what I was going to do because I was diagnosed with cancer and God came through and I didn't know what I was going to do. I needed a job and God took care of it. I didn't know what I, did, what I was going to do because my daughter was dating that guy and look what God did. She, he got a hold of her heart. And I have this track record, and it breeds in me then faith. God, I can trust you. I can stand on the grace in which you have delivered me, in which you operate towards me. I can stand on that grace. And it never disappoints. It never disappoints. What does God offer us? Through faith, relationship with Jesus. And grace, how does grace play out? Well, mostly through the tribulations. Things that we don't deserve as far as his goodness towards us. But it's always that track record of God's amazing provision. So how do I know that God will not disappoint me? How, how do I know? It's fine to say that tribulation works patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. Hope makes not ashamed. It's fine to say that. It's fine to say if I'm starting this journey with Jesus that he is truly going to take care of me. But, but what is the actual proof that God's not going to disappoint? It might have worked in your life. How do I know it's going to work in mine? What is the actual proof? Well, Romans 5.8 is the proof. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he started his goodness to you before you ever accepted him. He started his grace towards you before you ever made a decision to choose him. Now you activate that in your life by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. That's how you activate it. But his goodness towards you, his grace towards you was before you ever chose him. How do I know? Because he gave the greatest gift first. He gave the biggest gift first. Jesus Christ on the right hand of God the Father, who could speak things into existence at any moment, who had thousands of angels at his beckoning call, who could do, left heaven, born in the humblest of circumstances, a poor, ethnic, not in his hometown, 
considered to be illegitimate. We know that's not the case, but people around wondered, baby, putting his God power on the shelf, facing all the difficulties of a child growing up in a foreign country, his time in Egypt, having to learn a trade, losing his earthly stepfather, being treated terribly, abused, beaten, torn, and ultimately dying on a cross. So that there would never be wrath, there would never be anger, there would never be anything for sin for anyone who chose to accept by faith his free gift. How do you know? He will never disappoint. He offered his best gift first. So the action of that, having been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God. Now I had told you that he paid for our sins, but you need to understand that not only did he just pay for our sins, he did a total payment for all things associated with our sins. Isaiah 53 talks about it. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. It paid for everything associated with our sin. So God's anger about the sin was taken out on Jesus. God's punishment for the sin, the beating, the whipping, was taken out on Jesus for our sin. The payment for sin, wages of sin is death, was taken out on Jesus. So you truly can stand before God the Father in a perfect state. A state that is spotless because everything associated with sin was paid for by Jesus. So why did Jesus die? And again, we're working our way through the, uh, the book of Romans right here, uh, 5 and 6, chapter 5 and 6. Well, this was also part of God's plan. And it's fascinating when you think of it and look at it because it's a very unusual way that God designed it. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, that man was Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind, because all have sinned. So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind. So also through one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, excuse me, so for the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. God in his infinite wisdom, knew that we would not do the right thing. He created Adam in a perfect environment with no sin. There was no sin. The only sin that could exist would be disobedience to God, and that disobedience was taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to try and get knowledge apart from God. That was the only thing that could happen that, that, that was wrong. 
Adam chose to do that. He chose to go outside of God for his wisdom and for his knowledge, and he went to the tree. See, God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He would walk through, and I can imagine they would walk through that garden, and as they walked through that garden, uh, they'd look at this plant, and Adam would go, tell me about this plant, God. What is this? And God would say, ah, let me tell you about that. First of all, open the leaves. Smell that. Oh, wow, it smells great. Now, did you know, Adam, that if you put this in water, that it's going to make something that tastes really good? Let's get some water. And, and, and Adam would put it in water and taste it and go, wow, that's amazing. And then he'd say, you know, Adam, also, if you rub this on your skin right here, look what it does. Oh, my goodness. And, and God began to transfer knowledge to Adam in the cool of the day on their walks as he revealed his glory to Adam and Eve. Satan came along, and Satan's plan was to subvert all that. And so Satan said, hey, there's a way you can get this knowledge apart from God. That tree, that's how you can do it. And so Adam chose. Eve was deceived. Adam chose, and they ate of the forbidden fruit. We like to think it's an apple, but the Bible doesn't say that at all. It just says it's a fruit. The result was that death entered, and that death was separation from God. And that would pass from that point on to every human being that was alive. That is where our sin nature comes from. But because Adam could pass on death in a sin nature one man, God structured it so a perfect sacrifice, one man who was sinless and perfect, one man of extraordinary value, Jesus, the Son of God, who came as a man, offering the most expensive rare thing there is, his own blood, limited in quantity, if he were to do that, he could also pay for that sin. And so you have God's amazing plan unfold. As by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, but so by the righteousness of one man, salvation could pass to all men. We access that through faith. It seems harsh. How could one man screw up and ruin it for everybody? No, God's plan was, I know they're going to screw up and every person can't pay for their own sins because you're not perfect. It requires a perfect sacrifice. So the only way that it's going to work is a perfect sacrifice has to pay. And the only way I can get a perfect sacrifice is to take my own son and send him. And I'm going to pay for every sin and so overpay because it is so precious, I'm going to so overpay that there never will be room for condemnation. I'm going to have him whipped and abused and beaten and mistreated so there's never room for punishment. I'm going to take my anger out on him so there's never room for anger. And all those things will come off of the table. And then I'm going to offer it as a free gift to every single person who access it by faith, the grace on which we stand. So what that means is that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, when we accept his wonderful free gift, he takes our sin 
and he removes it, and he puts on us his righteousness. When Jesus sees us, he sees purity and righteousness. God the Father doesn't look at Scott Couch and the screw-ups of my life. He sees purity and righteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you've accepted Jesus, purity and righteousness are what you're clothed in. That exchange is something that's hard to understand. Why would he exchange our vile sin for his righteousness? When I was in Australia, I remember meeting a man, and he was a very unusual man. He lived on the edge of a, of a large area that had been tribal grounds and uh, other things like that, but, but he was very eccentric. As kids, we loved to, to talk with him because he always had amazing stories, but he did something unusual. He would take and swap. He was looking for certain things. He was looking for old buttons. If you look on the left, old, nasty buttons. And if you were able to take him an old, nasty button, he would give you a, a very beautiful kind of a coin sort of a thing. And kids always went out when nothing else was available to do, and they would look, and if you found a button, you were excited because you'd get one of the coins, you know, if you took it to him, and he would look at it and inspect it, and he'd go, oh, thank you so much. And he would take it, and he would give you one of the coins, and, and you'd think, man, this guy's nuts. <laughs> Why would he give away these beautiful coins for these old, rare, ugly buttons? They're dirty, and they're dented, and they're, they're messy. And I remember when we were getting ready to leave the area, I sat down and talked with him, and I said, you know, my, my parents are, are leaving this area, and we're moving to another area. Um, we're getting ready to start another church somewhere. And I said, tell me, why, why, why the buttons? I don't understand. He said, my son was about 20 years old, and we got in a in a row, and he left home, and he left home with a coat, and I had all of these buttons sewn on it. I was informed later that as he left home and went out into the bush, um, wild animals got him. The buttons are precious to me because they were my son's. They have great value to me because they are all I have left of him. They're my sons. I watched the unusual, eccentric old man tear up and say, what was my son's is precious. You see, God the Father considers you precious. He considers you of great worth. To the point that he was willing to take his very own son and swap his life for yours. Dirty, beat up, old, abused. He was willing to swap 
can give you purity in exchange. That was his plan. That is his plan. Access through faith. The grace on which you will stand. How do I apply this? This is all great information, but, but how do I apply this? What's the culmination of Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 as we work our way through it? I, 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 how does that all apply to me? Well, the first thing that you need to understand is it's not a license. It's not a license. Yes, Jesus Christ, his amazing plan for you was to walk spotless. Yes, he paid for every one of your sins. But it's not a license to go out and live any way that you want to. He's not saying, okay, we took care of it all. Have fun. Do whatever you want. He says, no, I've paid this incredible price so that we will have a relationship. And the idea of that relationship is that um, you're going to walk with me and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to guide you through this life. I'm going to give you that information like Adam. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the answers to life. I'm going to reveal things to you. I'm going to open Scripture in new, amazing ways. I'm going to do these powerful things for you. And yes, I know you're not perfect. You will sometimes fall. You will fail. But I'm going to take care of that when that happens. In fact, I'm going to make it so simple, all you have to do uh, is, um, I'm sorry, all you have to do is confess. You'll just confess that sin. I will take care of it. If you confess with your mouth, or excuse me, um, I'm sorry, I'm, my mind is a little bit uh, um, struggling. Hold on. Let me get the verse here. Okay, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, you will be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That moment of redemption is when we first confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that moment of renewal of taking care of that, yeah, I'm walking with God, but I sinned, is that 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says this, kind of a sober warning. Don't you know that if you offer to be someone's slaves, you must obey, obey that master? Either your master is sin or your master is obedience. Let sin be your master or letting sin be your master leads to death. Letting obedience be your master leads to God's approval and life. You see, there is a point where you have to choose. There is a point where you've got to decide. God paid for it all. He did these extraordinary things so that you would be able to stand on his grace through faith. But you also have to choose. 
Are you willing to have that relationship with Him? Are you willing to walk with Him? When you fall, when you stumble, when you screw up, you go to Him and say, I, I screwed up. Forgive me. And He will take care of it. He will start all over in your life. Clean, beautiful, spotless. Question for you. Question for you. All of this is good. If you've got a relationship with the Lord. Are you standing true faith on grace? Have you begun that walk with Him? God can have paid for all of those sins. But if you haven't accepted that free gift, that means nothing to you. God demonstrated His love before you were ever born by dying for you. But that doesn't mean anything to you if you haven't ex accepted it. Have you accepted His free gift? Have you accepted what He did for you? Are you, through faith, standing in grace? If you're not, you have a huge problem. You see all the wrath, all the punishment, all of the sorrow, all of those terrible things. Those aren't stored up for those who believe, but they are stored up for the devil, his angels, and those who choose not to choose him. Punishment for sin will happen. Torment will happen. Separation will happen. Death will happen. But it doesn't have to happen to you. It's not going to happen to me. How? By faith in Jesus Christ, standing on His grace. Musicians, if you will, come up. I want to give you an, inter an opportunity. I want to give you just a moment of opportunity. If you're here, and you say, you know, I, I, I didn't ever hear it quite like this before. Or maybe I heard it, but this time it resonated. But if you're here and you don't know that you have accepted God's gift by believing faith in Jesus, you're not standing on grace because you haven't had faith in Jesus. We want to show you how. It's not hard. You don't have to rally some great movement of, of something. It is literally going, God, I don't understand it all. I, I don't understand it all, but, but I am willing to believe. You know, it's interesting. One of, one of the most amazing prayers in the Bible is the man whose son was demon-possessed. And he came to Jesus. And he said, can you help my son? He's demon-possessed, and, and the demon throws him in the fire, and sometimes it throws him in the water, and things are terrible. Can you please help him? Can you help him? And Jesus said, can I? 
all things are possible if you believe. And you hear the man say, Lord, I believe. And then he realizes the condition of his heart. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. All it took was a willingness. God supplies the rest. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for grace on which we can stand. The way in which you treat us, grace, unmerited favor, a removal of punishment and condemnation, a removal of curse, and a position of blessing. Lord, thank you for Lord, I ask that if there are any here that they would not let this day go by before they settle grace on which they can stand. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.